For countless Canadians, the journey before and after abortion is a very dark one, filled with despair and a complete absence of hope. And yet there is so much that we can and should be doing, not only to help bring light to people's lives before abortion, but so much more that we can be doing after abortion as well. Tune in for more. Hi folks, my name is Cam. I am the host of the Pro-Life Guys podcast, a show dedicated to equipping you with the tools that you need to have compassionate and compelling conversations about abortion so that together we can change minds, save lives, and transform our culture. Thanks so much for tuning in. I hope that you are having a wonderful day wherever you're at, however far into your day you are. Um, and today's episode, we're going to go back again to this theme that we've been carrying for several months now of post-abortion recovery. Um, This has been very, very um, at the forefront of my mind of late. I mean, not only because a ton of the people that I talk to while doing outreach are post-abortive, but also because a ton of the people that you're going to interact with, whether through doing um, proactive pro-life outreach or just interacting in your daily life, people at your place of work, people in your family, people in your neighborhood, there are so many people wounded by abortion. And as I mentioned in the intro, um, there, there are a ton of things that we can and should be doing before somebody experiences an abortion, before somebody chooses this, um, this tragic and, and terrible decision, which end, ends the life of the weakest, most vulnerable member of the human family um, and send shockwaves through their lives and the lives of the people around them. Um, So much of what we do on the show is dedicated to equipping you with the tools that you need to reach people before they become pregnant, before they've had abortions. And yet, as I focused on over the last couple months here, um, more and more what I want to be steeping into the program um, so that you are familiar with it, so that it's a tool in your tool belt, is understanding um, post-abortive mothers and fathers, understanding what contributes towards those decisions that they're making, um, and also understanding the resources and support that's available for them after abortion. And so in today's episode, I'm joined by um, David Williams, who serves as the men's chapter leader with Save One, an international ministry that helps men, women, and families recover after abortion. He's also a member of MAN, which stands for Men and Abortion Network, and partners with pregnancy care centers and pro-life organizations throughout America and around the world um, as a speaker represented by ambassador speakers. Um, David Williams has a beautiful, heavy, but beautiful testimony of his own journey before and after abortion. I'm thrilled that he's been able to join us on the show, and I hope that you enjoy this conversation as much as I did. All right, David, thank you so, so much for taking the time to join the show. How are you? I'm doing well. Hey, thanks, Cam, for having me. Yeah, it's such a joy. And as many of our listeners will know, I I have really had it on my heart for the last couple months now to really dive into and and help explore the idea and the reality of abortion recovery. Because there's so many people in our midst who have a variety of abortion experiences, whether their own, whether those that they aided and abetted, whether... um, even abortions from their parents or siblings that, that they've only uh, recently come to learn about. And so I, I appreciate you joining the show and I appreciate your courage and, and grace and how you share your testimony. And I, I look forward to diving into it. But I wonder, before we dive into kind of the meat and potatoes of your experience and now the ministry that you're leading, drawing men in particular towards uh, post-abortive healing, I wonder if you could 
share with me and our listeners a little bit about the the formative years and i don't just mean the the teenage years I, I don't know why our culture often only looks at teenage years as formative years but i wonder if you could kind of yeah. start by sharing a little bit about um your your upbringing your childhood and and how that may have led towards the journey that that you are on the journey that you are helping so many others through um with uh post-abortion experience share a little bit about your upbringing if you would yeah i um Grew up where it was my mom, my dad, and a brother who's a year older than me. Um, my dad, by the time um, my mom had been, he and my mom had been married. They had he had been married before. He had six kids, and uh, between marrying my mom and his first marriage, there was another child that he was the father of, but but never really spent time with. And so, uh, my dad was a uh, a son of a, a pastor, but he was adopted, and there were a lot of wounds that that my dad had and, and I came to find out that later on. But growing up for me, um, I grew up watching my dad um, many days cuss my mom out to the point of tears. Uh, as a little boy, I would see that. Uh, I, I don't remember in any of my younger years of my dad ever telling my mom he loved her, uh, never hugging my mom. Uh, I didn't know that my dad had a, uh, a another family or other kids until one day one of his daughters who was grown at this point when I was still a child um, stopped by our house very unexpectedly. And I came to find out that my dad had other kids. Um, my mom stayed home for the first few years of my life till I was five years of age. Um, but then when I became five, she went to work. And I think part of it was, uh, I think honestly, looking back to get away from my dad, to get away from the, some of the treatment in the way that my dad was towards my mom. Uh, in addition to him being verbally abusive to her, uh, he was that way with my brother and I. He was kind of physically abusive uh, with us. But when my mom went back to work, it meant that me and my brother were home with my dad. And my dad liked to party. Uh, he liked to drink. He liked to hang out with his friends. And that didn't stop because he had his two boys with him. So my dad would take me and my brother to bars when we were a little kid. And so I remember spending a lot of time in bars with my dad. I remember watching this same man who uh, cursed my mom out to the point of tears um, treating other women as if they were queens. Uh, I remember leaving from bars and going to friends of my father's and uh, seeing my dad go down the hallway with a woman to a bedroom and knowing as a little boy, I mean, I'm like five, six, seven years of age, knowing that my dad was doing things with other women that he shouldn't be doing. And literally while he was doing this, he would give me and my brother Playboy magazine, so pornographic magazines to look at, to spend the time until my dad was done doing what he was doing. And um, Cam, I would remember on the way home, my dad saying uh, these types of things to my brother and I, never let a woman know how much money you have, never let her know, um, never let her know, you know, all that, you, all, all that you're doing, uh, keep a spare woman on the side and uh, keep some spare money on the side in case something happens. And these were things that I'm learning as a five, six, seven year old, kid, um, in some ways they're shaping me on what it means to, to be a man. And, uh, so, you know, this was kind of my experience. And, and, uh, when I was eight, I had a, a grandmother, so my, neither my mom or, or dad went to church. So I didn't grow up learning about God in my early years, but when I was about eight years of age, uh, I had a grandmother that started taking me to church. And, uh, so, you know, I had this stuff going on at home and, and uh, was hearing a message about God and his forgiveness and and uh, literally didn't it didn't it didn't mean too much to me because I, I didn't think I was all that bad of a 
of a kid, didn't really think I needed it, but it was something that was kind of a transition in my life. Um, by the time I was 11, my mom and dad divorced. And um, for me, it was almost like the, the, the best of times and the worst of times. I uh, had a great love and affinity for my dad, even though he wasn't, um, he wasn't the best dad. I mean, there were some harmful things that he did, but I, I loved my dad. And so it was very hurtful when they divorced. And yet it was almost like the best of times as well, because I didn't have to worry about seeing him do the things he did with my mom or even the things he would do with my brother and I. And so in my early years, uh, up until about 11, that's kind of kind of what it looked like. And those were some things that kind of shaped me. And, and um, you know, when I thought about what it meant to be a man, what it meant to be a father, what it meant to be a husband, these were kind of the pictures that were embedded in my mind and, and in my heart. Gotcha. I, I'm sure I'm going to say this an awful lot in this episode, but I, I really appreciate the the courage in, in sharing that. I'm sure that um, it's not pleasant to recount um, those early years. And and looking at that as an 11 year old boy at that point, with all of that um, behind you, I I suppose I wonder going into whether it be middle school, high school, that kind of thing, with that kind of um, framework, that paradigm that you're going into high school with. Do, do you feel like that? that obviously shaped a lot of who you were as as you mentioned what it meant to be a man what it meant to be normal i i suppose and and how did that manifest while you were entering into such important years of your life going into high school is that something that you know what you, you thought that you had to live up to if your dad was kind of perceived as a role model in some ways of like not a, a perfect role model but did you see that as something to aspire to in high school or was it a matter of like you said, kind of, he's a little bit out of the picture now. I want to blaze my own trail. I want to do something different than my dad. What, what did that look like going into high school for you? Um, you know, I, I, I think it, I, I thought about manhood is like if my dad is saying this and doing this, then that must be what a man is. So there were the thoughts in my heart that if I'm really going to be a man as I get older, then I need to have sex with women. Um, there's a certain way I need to talk. There's certain things that I need to do. And so very early on, you know, 11, 12 years of age, um, you know, I would, me and my brother, we would, we would drink. Um, my brother very early on started having sex and, and most of the, the guys that I hung around, they were having sex and I wasn't having sex, but it wasn't because I didn't want to. I was a very shy kid. Like I was sort of afraid to step, really step to a girl um, but I would lie to them and I would say that, you know, I was doing it as well, but I wasn't. But there was another thing that really shaped even um, even beyond my dad. So my mom and dad divorced at 11. My mother started going to church shortly after they divorced. And there happened to be a guy at our church who took an interest in my mom. Now, this guy's married. This guy has five kids. This guy is actually a, a minister of music at the church. He's on staff at the church. For the next seven years of my life, he's in a relationship with my mom. He's in an adulterous relationship with my mom. And I'm watching this as a kid. So so it, it, it I think I began to think like all men are this way because my dad didn't care anything about God and he didn't go to church and he was that way. Here's a man who proclaims to care a lot about God. In fact, he's leading other people to sing praise to God. And he's he's doing the very same thing. And he's doing it with my mom. And um, so, th so that was a picture and a dynamic that came in that probably reinforced even more that this is what it means to be a man. And then everything else that I that I listened to, like the music that I listened to, I mean, it was all very sensual and sexual in nature. The TV shows and movies I watched were very sensual and sexual in nature. I literally graduated from high school a virgin. 
but in no way was I pure. My mind was very defiled when it came to sex. You know, my heart was very defiled. I just hadn't acted out on it. But the things that I saw with my dad from the early years and then even throughout my teenage years with this other man and in a relationship with my mom and the things that I was doing and the friends that I was hanging with, I mean, it very, I mean, my, my heart was like, this is what it means to be a man. And it was only a matter of time before I stepped out to begin to do some of the things that for so many years fed what I thought manhood was about. Yeah. And, and last question I would love to ask you about um, those kind of high school years as well. And, and I think that you touched on a little bit already, if I can ask of, uh, is it fair to say that, that through those high school years with those experiences, but also seeing what, what your friends, what your peers um, were engaging in as well, that, that this felt normal, right? That, that I, and I, the reason I asked this question is because I, I know that for myself and many of the people that I work with and, and listeners of the show, um, we have been blessed in many ways with, with a very sheltered upbringing. And, and mm -hmm. I, I praise God for that. And I thank my parents for, for the upbringing that I've been blessed with. And I, I hope and pray that, that all those who have, who have had that yeah. Um, do do thank God for that blessing. And yet when we're doing our outreach at high schools and talking to the, the students there, so many of them are sharing stories very similar to to what you experienced when you were going through high school. In in summer, would you say that this, this would be kind of a, a fair representation of your peers as well, that this yeah. was just kind of how life was kind of thing? Or, or did you feel like a bit of an outsider because of your, your family situation and what, what you had experienced, I guess? No, I, I didn't feel like an outsider at all. In yeah. fact, my mother had other siblings and, and some of their relationships, you know, some had been married. There was infidelity in it. Some weren't married at all. Some had kids. And even on mm -hmm. the, you know, the people I grew up with and the friendships that I had, um, it was it was pretty normal. I thought that my life was the norm of what mm -hmm. life should be. Um, so, yeah, I would say. Gotcha. I, I appreciate that. And, and, and again, I ask to, to be able to paint a picture for myself and for others in understanding just what so many people in high school are kind of up against when it comes to the culture that they're living in and how that culture informs the decisions yeah. that they end up making. And and to yeah. take that step then. So you mentioned um, through high school, um, the, the, the lack of purity, but also lack of sexual engagement kind of thing mm -hmm. um that and that changed for you in university uh, and i've yeah. i've heard you share your testimony on a number of other platforms and, and interviews and whatnot i wonder if you'd be willing to share that now of yeah. how the next step was taken as as you went off um to post-secondary yeah yeah so there were there were there were two things that probably uh were very strong for me as i, I graduated from high school uh, one, I mean, I have, I have a mother who was the most educated person in my family and she had an associate degree. So there is no one like as far as generations I know back that had a bachelor's degree. And my mom worked very hard for me to go to go to college. I mean, she worked double shifts and and wasn't around. So for me, that was a big deal. So like getting my college education, getting a degree was a big deal. But along the way, like so that was a goal that I had. But another goal was I was going to have fun. And for me, you know, based on the shaping of my mind and my heart up to this time, having fun for me meant that I was going to I was going to have sex with somebody, you know, and that was almost like what was expected. And it hadn't happened yet. But that's just the natural progression of what's going to happen in my life. So went off to college and um, first year of college um, was in wasn't in a relationship with anybody. So still hadn't had sex. Second year of college, um, very early on, I met a young lady uh, at a party. And um, we became friends. And after a few months, it became more than friends. 
And uh, both of us, honestly, because most of my life, I grew up in a single parent home with just my mom. She grew up in a single parent home with just her mom. And uh, here's two people longing for love. And we think we find it with each other. And the relationship becomes sexual. Um, In some regards, like I said, it's just a natural progression of the way my heart was leading anyway. But I honestly thought that, you know, I love her and uh, that she loved me. and, 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 And I would even justify us having sex was because we loved each other. And, um, and so I actually thought life was, was great. You know, I'm, I'm getting a college education. I'm, I'm in a relationship and I, I love this young lady. And, uh, then she comes to me a few months later with news that I wasn't expecting. And she comes to me and she says, David, I'm pregnant. And so when she tells me that in my mind, I'm thinking college education is the ticket to my future. Um, from my upbringing, I don't know how to be a dad. I don't want to be a dad right now. I have no idea of what it means to be a husband. So for me, when it came to what are we going to do with this pregnancy, for me and my logic and the way that I thought then, it was like the the thing to do would be for us to have an abortion because neither one of us are ready. We don't need to drop out of school. We're not ready to get married. We do love each other. So later on, we can get married and we can have a family, but let's get our education first. And so that was kind of my line of thinking. And she actually agreed with me. We actually shared with our mothers that 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 we were pregnant and they asked us what we were planning to do. And we share with them what what I share with you. And they said, based on where you both are in life, we think that what you're thinking is 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 good. And so they almost kind of co-signed on on us saying we're going to have an abortion. But there was something, Cam, because every day from that day until, I mean, I think it was six, seven weeks later before she had the abortion. But there was a question my girlfriend would ask me every day. And the question was, David, do you think this is the right thing to do? And I'm telling you, not a day went past that she didn't ask me. And, um, you know, early on, I would say yes, you know, immediately. But over time, I think I began to doubt, like, could there be? But I, I couldn't think of any other thing like, I didn't think I, I never thought of adoption, didn't think we were in a place to have a baby. So even though I was beginning to say, well, maybe, but I didn't know what. So it was almost like, yeah, this is still the best option for us. I was, um, you know, man enough to present that option to her. But when it came time for her to have the abortion, we were in uh, it was our college break. We were in different cities. Um, I wasn't man enough to get in a plane to, to fly to be with her. I wasn't man enough to jump in my car to drive to be with her to an abortion clinic. Literally, her mother is preparing to take her to an abortion clinic. But that morning, when she, the morning of the day that she has the abortion, she calls me and she asked the question again. And it was almost like him. Um, I, I could hear, I could hear the trepidation in her voice. I could hear the fear in her voice. Looking back, and it's been over 30 years ago, but looking back now, it's almost like, she was almost wanting me to man up and say, say something different than what I've said. And I had the longest pause I've ever had when she asked me, but I came back and I said the same thing. I said, I think it's the best thing for us to do. And so she goes and she has the abortion. And uh, we talked later on that evening and she was absolutely traumatized. I mean, I couldn't understand a word she was saying. Um, This woman that I said that I loved, that I cared for, Man, she had just gone through some tremendous pain, tremendous hurt, tremendous trauma. 
Um, even though I wasn't a follower of God and he wasn't on the radar screen of my life, I knew better than the fact that this was a blob of tissue. I, I kind of knew subconsciously the decision I made was I decided that my life, my dreams, my plans, my future is more important than the life of this child. And there was there was a guilt that 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 came over me. But at the same time, I thought that in a few months, everything will be back to normal. She'll be okay. We'll be okay. Our relationship will proceed forward and everything will be fine. What we talk about getting our degree later on, getting married, we'll do that. That was kind of what was in my mind. And, and that didn't happen. You know, a few months later, we broke up and there was just even more tremendous gang, um, guilt. There was shame. I became very angry. I mean, like it's almost like volcanic uh, anger that would erupt on people for the littlest of things, for the smallest of things. Um, I, I became very depressed. Uh, I would walk through like valleys of depression, not knowing when I would enter into them and not knowing when I would come out. I think I had a really unhealthy drive to finish my education. It was almost the point of being unhealthy. And looking back, it's uh, it's almost because that was the reason. That was my justification of why I can't can't be a dad right now because of my education, because of a future career. And so it was almost like there was this unhealthy drive to prove that I was a success and to get my degree. Um, when it came time for me to make significant decisions, there would almost be this um, paralysis that would come upon me. It was almost like I was paralyzed to make a decision. I drank, you know, I drank alcohol before the abortion, but it was to have fun. You know, it was kind of to be the life of the party. But after the abortion, I mean, I drank more and it was like I was drinking to try to drown, you know, I was drinking to drown my sorrows. And this young lady, she was the first person I'd ever been with sexually. And afterwards, I just began to use women and, and didn't care. It was almost like I, I used them to medicate my pain, to medicate my hurt. And that's what kind of the next um, the next seven years of my life kind of looked like. And, and in the midst of that, um, after I, I did graduate and, and graduated with honors. And uh, after I graduated, I got a job at the university and I started working with a young woman and, and we were in a sexual relationship. And she comes to me with the same news that I hear when I'm 19. And she goes, David, I'm pregnant. And I begin, it brings back all the memories, you know, of 19. And for me, as I thought about it, it was like that didn't fix anything. That didn't solve anything. It actually brought a lot of pain and a lot of hurt to me. And so she says these words to me. She goes, uh, I don't know if I can be a mom if, uh, if, if you're not going to be with me. So when she said it, because of what I'd gone through, this is how I heard it. That, David, if you're not going to be with me, I'm going to have an abortion. And as I heard that, I'm like, no, I'm not going through that again. I, I, that didn't do anything. And so I, uh, I actually told this young lady, I'll be with you. I will marry you. We will have a family. And it's something, Cam, because, uh, you know, I, I thought that, and in some regards, I, I didn't become pro-life. It wasn't like I became pro-life all of a sudden. I didn't, not at all. In some regards, as I look back, that was my way to try to make up for what I did before. That was my means to atone for what I had done when I was 19 years of age. And I also remember when I was growing up, and I told you about my dad and the way he was towards my mom, I remember thinking that if I ever got married, I will never treat a woman the way my dad treats my mom. I will never treat my children the way my dad treated me. So I get married to her. And, and if you think about it, I, I didn't marry her because I loved her. 
I married her because we were in this situation and I'm trying to figure out what I should do. And, you know, I'm trying to figure out to do the right thing this time. And I'm thinking that that's right. But that didn't change my heart and it didn't change me from the person that I was. So I'm angry and now I'm angry and it's spilling out on her because I'm feeling like I'm in a marriage that I really don't want to be in, but I'm forced to be in. Um, I'm still sleeping with other women. So me putting a ring on my finger didn't change my heart one bit. So now I'm committing adultery on my wife, as I saw my dad do with my mom. I'm still walking through deep valleys of depression. I'm still getting drunk to drown my sorrows. I'm hanging out with my friends. I'm, my son is finally born, which should be a great day. You know, and I'm having a son, but, but my heart is numb. It's almost like my son's born and, and my heart's numb and I find it hard to bond with him. And um, my life is just spiraling, spiraling out of control. And uh, this was kind of what it looked like from 19 to 26. And uh, those actions, uh, our marriage was short lived. We, we were married for about three years and, and we ended up going through a divorce. Um, but it was really as we were walking through the, I guess, deterioration of our marriage where my life did begin to begin to change. Gotcha. And, and I would love to get into that, that moment of hope in, uh, in a moment here. Um, if I can, if I can ask, and again, I, I appreciate your vulnerability and, and sharing this, this, um, heavy journey with us. If, um, two questions I, I would ask the first, so, so, the the aftermath of the, this abortion and how it impacted you and, and seeing the drinking, seeing the depression, was that something that you consciously related towards that abortion experience? Or was that something that you, you would try to pin on other challenges in your life? And, and I ask because, I mean, I've spoken with hundreds of post-abortive mothers and fathers, and for many of them, they've kind of revealed to me that they worked so hard to justify their abortion that that all of the other problems that were all, all of the ripple effects, all the shock waves were somehow not related to the abortion. Was that something that, that you saw in your own life as well? Or, or did you know that a lot of this was stemming directly from the abortion at the time, I guess? No, I, you know, I, to be honest, during the time, I, I had no idea. I, there, I, there was no way I could correlate the dots between what was happening in my life. Like just the journey of my upbringing, you know, I would think like my dad was this way. So in some regards, I'm just following in the footsteps of my dad, but didn't understand how deeply until many years later that the abortion had impacted and, and probably had taken some of the things to levels that, you know, were beyond what I would have progressed to without that abortion being a part of my story. Yeah, gotcha. And 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 like I said, that that it is replicated in, in so many of the people that I've spoken with in a, in a similar kind of journey that that it, it takes years, at, at times decades, even before that connection is made. And, and whether it's drug abuse or any kind of addiction or any kind of outlet to try to, like you said, bury that pain and, and drown that pain. Um, and yet has has become the beautiful ministry that you now lead. That doesn't need to be the, the last chapter of the book. This doesn't need to be a story that ends with um, despair and and final defeat but rather one that, that does have the opportunity for hope, for healing, for um, a beautiful recovery. And, and let's dive into that now. Let, let's dive yeah. into, you alluded to the fact that, that um, towards the de deterioration of um, this first marriage, how things started to change in your life. What did that look like for you? Yeah. Well, first during, uh, during the, I think about the last year of my marriage, there were some men that, uh, that I know looking back that God strategically put in my life. 
one of the things that was very hard for me to to even have thoughts about God and maybe him changing my life, even though as a kid, I, I heard the message of Jesus and his forgiveness and healing, but I never thought it applied to me. And a lot of it was because of what I saw of things in church. And there was a guy that, um, that I went to, to college with, and he was probably the first guy that I ever saw live out the reality of what it meant to be a faithful follower of Christ. It wasn't like he went to church and that was the totality of his relationship with God. It affected everything. It affected the way he spoke. It affected the things he did. It affected the way he thought about women, the way he treated women. And this guy, like he would just come around me. And uh, though I would kind of mock him and make fun of him, there was a joy that he had about him that I didn't have. I had a smile on my face, but it was very fake. And it was actually a smile trying to cover up my broken heart. And there was something I saw in him that I wanted. And um, and a few other men during this same time, they took me to a uh, a Promise Keepers event. They used to have these big, large men's events in, in stadiums and arenas. And they took me and I hear the message about a God who loved me, who sent his son to, to die for me so that I could be forgiven for the wrong that I'd done, um, who rose from the grave to give me a brand new life and a brand new start and to you know bring healing to broken areas of my life. And it was like, I, I knew I needed that. But sadly, um, for a while, I felt like I could fix the things in my life without him. Like I, and, and the more that I tried, the deeper I found myself in the pit. And it was finally on the day where my wife and my son are leaving, uh, driving to another city because of my selfishness and, and uh, my sin. And I'm realizing how much it's affected them. It was on that day where, where the Lord got a, got a hold of my heart and got a hold of my attention. And um, I was all alone. And, and um, but I remember just sensing like the presence of God and, and for the first time in my life, asking God to forgive me for the things that I had done wrong in my life, um, saying to him, like I had tried to put the puzzles together and instead of making a masterpiece, all I've made is a mess that God, I'm asking you um, to take my life and make it what you want it to be. And God began to do a transformation in my life, Cam. And, and there were some things immediately. I'm telling you, I'm saying immediately he broke off of my life. That was 20, 25 years ago. And from that day to this day. The only woman that I have had sex with is my wife, Taria. I got remarried when I was 30. We've been married for 21 years. She's the only woman I've had sex with. And it wasn't until we said I do before, before the preacher. And um, I used to you know, drink profusely and be drunk many days of the week. I have never been drunk a day from that day. Um, I was all about my career and I was you know, going to make a name for myself and be successful. And I literally walked away from, from a career. I ended up going to graduate school, walked away from that and entered into full-time ministry and began to minister to inner city teens at a, at a city mission. So there were some significant shifts that were happening in my life. Ended up, as I mentioned, I met my wife about um, three years after I divorced and we got married a year later, so four years later. And she's a very godly woman. We both are in ministry together at this point. And uh, I, I love God. I'm spending time in his word every day and... Um, I'm sharing with him, with, with others about him. Um, but there were still some things in my life that I found that I was stuck in. I still had this tremendous anger. I was very angry. And sadly, in the early years of my marriage, I, I hurt my wife in ways that a man shouldn't hurt his wife. I, um, my wife and I, we have six kids. So my, our oldest is 20. Our youngest is five. So we began having these beautiful, wonderful kids. And just like with my first son from my first marriage, it was hard for me to bond with some of them. 
when my wife and I would have, you know, very difficult decisions to make, I would feel that paralysis. I was very depressed. Um, and so, and, and I was in ministry, but instead of ministry really being about the glory of God and the service to others, a lot of it was about, was about me, if I'm honest. It was, it was about David. And so for years, the first 10 years of our marriage, I felt like there were things that I was stuck with, couldn't break free from. I uh, never shied away from sharing any parts of my story. So a guy asked me, I was a, a chaplain back in 2012 of the, the Cincinnati Bengals. And a guy um, who I knew asked me to share some of my story with him. So I never shared away from the abortion, the divorce. I never shared shied away from any of it because I knew that that Jesus forgave me of everything that I'd ever done in my life. So I would never shy away from sharing any part. So I share with this guy and he says to me, there's a man that's praying for you, David. I go, what do you mean there's a guy praying for me? Is it, there's a guy who works at a pregnancy center who's praying for you. And he goes, he's looking for a speaker. He's looking for a man who has an abortion in his story to share about the forgiveness of Christ. And he wants a guy with a sports-related tie because at their banquets, mostly women come and they want the husbands to come. So they want somebody with a sports-related tie. So I think he's praying for you. So Cam, uh, he says, would you talk to this guy about speaking at their banquet? I said, yes. And so the guy asked me to speak and it was the first time. So this is literally 21 years after the abortion. I know I'm I know I'm forgiven of the abortion, but in some regards, it was this general blanket forgiveness that Christ forgives me of everything. But I had never really sat in the weight of what I had done. When I was asked to speak before a crowd of people about the experience for the first time, it was almost like the weight of my the the weight of the heinous act that I had been involved in sat on me like never before. Man, I began to realize like I was complicit in the death of my first child. Like the weight of that hit me like never before. And yet there was this uh, almost felt like the, the waves of God's grace began to wash over me in fresh ways. But I ended up sharing that night and, and, I, and I speak a lot of different places. So I didn't think anything different from this than maybe other speaking engagements but I got this sense that God began to impress upon my heart that, David, this isn't just a speaking engagement. And I didn't know what that meant at the time. But after I spoke that night, there was a guy who um, actually does anecdotal research on the effects of abortion in men. So he gives me his card and he said he'd like to talk to me. So we ended up talking a few days later. And this guy says to me, uh, one, David, I think that God's going to use you in some great ways in this arena. He said, but the second thing I'd like to say to you is a question. And I go, what's the question? And at the time, I thought it was a weird question. He goes, uh, how have you allowed Jesus to heal you from the wound of abortion? And I was thinking in my mind, like you heard me talk before an audience that, that I know the forgiveness of Christ. Why in the world are you asking me about, do I know the, 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 the have I ever asked Christ to heal me of this, this wound? But I didn't say that to him. What I said to him was, you know what? I have never specifically asked Jesus to heal me from the wound of abortion. So he goes, uh, you know, I'm going to challenge you to do that. And can I send you some material? Can I send you a book? One was a book called Fatherhood Aborted that was put out by CareNet. As I read this book, I never made up, even up to this time, I never made the correlation between some of the things that I struggled with in the abortion. Never correlated it. As I began to read this book, it was almost like God began to pull the curtain back 
and to show me that many of the things that I had struggled with over the years had been directly, was a direct impact of this abortion in my life. And then I, uh, the second thing he did was set me up with a male peer counselor at a pregnancy center to go through an abortion recovery Bible study. And as I walked through this study, man, I mean, God, God opened up um, and allowed me to experience forgiveness and healing and grace that I didn't even know. Like, um, I'll give you some examples. For instance, uh, anytime that I would get around a, a man, and especially if the man, and he could have had abortion in his story, but if I didn't know it, or he hadn't gone through a divorce, or, you know, I would feel so inferior to that man because I would think of my sin. And so for so many years, even though I was a Christian, I was still letting the things that of my past define who I was. Instead of seeing myself as a new creation in Christ and my identity being in him and that I, I don't have to feel like I fall short compared to any man because Christ is the one who now covers me with his righteousness and he has dealt with my sin. So that became a huge thing that God began to use in my life. My mother died a few years before I went through this study and I had a difficult time grieving her loss. And I was almost to the place of why is my heart so hard? Why can't I grieve my mom's loss? There were a couple things that the Lord showed me as I walked through this study. One, there was a very significant loss in my life, the loss of my daughter. And society told me I never needed to grieve her. And as I learned to grieve her loss and to understand the value and the dignity of her life and the worth that it has and really grieve her loss, it helped me to be able to grieve the loss of my mom. And and I mentioned before that my, my mom... Uh, kind of co-signed on what me and my girlfriend had agreed on, you know, of, of having the abortion. And there was some unforgiveness that I was dealing with in my heart towards my mom. And I had to um, forgive my mom just as God in Christ had forgiven me. And uh, so these were things that began to make a dramatic impact in my own life and my relationship with God, my relationship with my wife, my relationship with kids. And as I walked through that, God began to give me a heart to minister to other men. And I think men in particular, I know it's hard for women sometimes to correlate the pain and the trauma that they experience in the aftermath of an abortion. And I think it's even harder for men because of the way that abortion has been framed in our society. It's a woman's issue. It's a woman's reproductive issue. It's the woman's decision to decide. And pretty much society says the man has no place in it but the man has a very significant place in it. He is the father of a preborn child. He was involved in the pre-create procreation of a life that God is forming in the womb of a woman, but he's been told that he's not important. And I think for many men, it's allowed them to be able to shirk their responsibility and not step up to the plate to fulfill the role that they've been given even if the situation arose because they weren't doing the right thing, I think it doesn't cause men to rise up to that instinct that we naturally have to provide and to protect that which is ours. But then on the back end of that, Cam, since men aren't, you know, they're not recognized in the beginning, nobody thinks about a man when an abortion happens. Nobody thinks that it, it impacts a man. But an abortion for a man is a loss of fatherhood. And the guy that I told you about who, who walked with me, uh, who, who, who led me through to the abortion recovery Bible study, he, in his studies, he had, uh, there's these five P's that God has put in a man uh, to procreate, 
to provide, to protect, to perform, and to experience pleasure. So think about when an abortion happens for a man. He was involved in the procreation process, and it involves in a tragic fail. It, it, it ends in the death of his child, whether he wanted it or whether he didn't want it. He didn't have the opportunity to provide or to protect for this life that was entrusted for him as a dad to be able to provide and protect for. His act of pleasure, maybe sex that was very pleasurable, when he thinks back to that memory, it now becomes a very painful memory for him. And his performance in that becomes a tragic fail. So I think abortion for a man, it hits us at the core of who God has created us to be. And the one that has been offended by what we have done, the, whether the participation, whether it could have been in the sexual act, and maybe we didn't know about the abortion. But if that sexual act wasn't in a marriage, then even in that, you know, we find ourselves outside of what God would have us to be. But if we were ones that pushed for it, then we were involved. We have been involved in something that is an offense against God. And the only one who can bring a healing to that deep wound and can bring reconstitution to our heart and our soul is the very one we're, we've offended. So what God has called me to in this season is to help men by pointing them to Christ, by asking them the same question that that guy asked me. How have you allowed Jesus to heal the wound of abortion? And then walking with them on the journey of Jesus, ministering to them in ways that they didn't even know they needed to be ministered to so that they can be the men that God is calling for us to be as men. Amen. And, and praise God for that. And, and what a beautiful, beautiful story. And, and I'm sure that I, of the, the many people that I've worked with in the pro-life movement, those who, who represent different post-abortive recovery centers and healing ministries and, and the journey that they continue to be on, that, that this isn't necessarily something that is, while it is absolutely forgiven by Christ, it, it's not necessarily forgotten by the, the people who have been a part of it. And so that journey continues and, and constantly remembering that forgiveness of Christ is absolutely essential. And, yeah. and I'm just so thrilled that, that there are ministries like yours, that there are people like you who are sharing this testimony because, like you mentioned, that men, men need to be involved in this. I, I think about how the culture war that is raging around us, if if um, the the side that that fights for goodness fights for for children for mothers and and women and and kids, we're tying behind our back one of our arms because so many men feel as though they cannot contribute, they cannot be a part of that because of the shame, the guilt, um, the experiences that they have in their life. Um, then then we're we're handicapping ourselves so dramatically, and. I, I want to ask, as we start to, to wind towards the end, uh, maybe the, the, the most hope-filled part. So you've been doing this ministry, I believe you said, since well before 2011. So you're, you're well into this. And I wonder if you could share any stories of how this has impacted the people, whether at um, conferences and banquets that you've spoken at. How, is this, how have you seen now sharing your own testimony of brokenness be able to, to help others find that hope and healing that is in Christ and draw men back into the fight, men, draw men towards hope and healing, certainly, but through that as well, draw them back into this culture war to protect the, the weak and vulnerable, to protect moms and, and girls and kids and, and everybody. What, what have you been blessed to witness in your ministry? Yeah, it's been, uh, it's been amazing. I, th I think um, part of it for men, I mentioned that it's, it's, I think it's hard for guys, I already mentioned, hard for guys to connect those dots. So I think in some regards, God uses me as I share this story 
to connect dots for men that they didn't even know. So they're dealing with all of these things. And in their mind, it never comes to the fact, even though they might know that abortion's in my story, they don't know the fact that that's what it is that is leading me in a tailspin in my life. So I've had many men who will come up to me and they're, they're like, you know what, you have put language to what my heart has been feeling for years. I haven't been able to articulate it, but listening to you has helped me to make connections. And and I've had the privilege to come alongside of men. I, there's a guy who actually uh, this weekend is going to be sharing at a, at a large men's pro-life conference in Dallas. And uh, a few years back, um, he actually called the ministry that, that, I, that, I, that I work with. And uh, he, he, um, he was actually reminded because the woman that he was involved with, they had a, a, a child and the child died. And so at the funeral, he sees her, he hadn't seen her in years, and it brought back all of these memories. So he calls in and there's this deep pain that he has in his heart. And he, he says to uh, the person who answered the phone, I don't think I will ever be able to share what I've gone through with anyone. We walked for weeks and we're, we are still good friends to this day. So we walked for weeks through this Bible study. At the end of the Bible study, he uh, actually goes to his pastor. He shares with his pastor his story. And uh, he tells his pastor, he's like, you know, I think we need a ministry like this at our church. And God has just continued to do a work on his heart. This, this weekend, he's going to be in Dallas sharing before a thousand men of, of the, what God has done in his heart, where he was at the place where Anytime the issue came up, he felt like he had to be silent. He couldn't say anything. There was nothing he could do. But as he has received and experienced the overwhelming grace and healing of Christ, I mean, he's been a guy who has stepped out um, to want to minister to other men and women and families. And uh, so so I, I get to, a chance to see that often, like God doing a work in men where it's affecting them personally but then it impacts their family. It impacts their marriages with their wives. It impacts their relationships with their kids. It impacts them in their churches where they're serving, where for some of them, they might've served, but they did it because this was my recompense for what I did wrong. So I'm going to serve, serve, serve. And it's not understanding the grace of God and, and what Christ has done and a response to that. And that's the reason they serve. It's kind of, I'm going to serve to make up for something or other guys on the other end who may go to church, and there's like, there's no way that God could ever use me because of this thing that I did. But when they experience the overwhelming grace and forgiveness and healing of Christ, I mean, you see these men stepping up. You see these men being silent no more. You see these men recognizing the giant, like in the story of David and Goliath, that giant who was trying to keep the army silent, that no more. They're like, is there not a cause? And in the power of Christ, they realize that the victory is his, the war is his, and they're stepping out and playing their part. And so that's the part that I love, like watching men's lives be transformed and watching God raise up more warriors that are willing to stand on the front line and to um, to be a voice for the voiceless, for preborn children, to minister to those in the midst of crisis and to point them to the author of life, but to minister to those who are broken and wounded and who feel like because of what I've done, there's no hope for me. And so to be able to see them share the hope of Christ uh, as God has allowed me to do with them has been absolutely encouraging for me. Absolutely. And, and that, that is the best part of, of any ministry within the pro-life ministry or, or anything outside of it. I, I, I 
thank God every day for, for the opportunity that he has given me to be able to witness to people at high schools and colleges and universities and downtown and doorsteps. And, and I'm so grateful for your ministry as well. I'm going to ask you to, to close us in prayer here in just a moment before we yeah. do that, so that that can be the last note. Um, you mentioned a number of resources and, and um, supports and, and outlets, I suppose, as well for where men can um, start to process this journey for whether it's somebody listening to this episode as an audience member who hasn't um, kind of dove quite as deep into this as they should have or, or want to, or, or if it's something that can be shared with friends, family members, people that we're meeting through our outreach, what resource, how do people learn more about your ministry, about your journey, and about yeah. the resources that you would suggest? Yeah, um, they can learn more about me from my website, which is davidwilliamspeaks.com. And so on there, there's a number of articles and videos and other resources. Uh, a good place for men, um, there's a, a ministry called Men and Abortion, the Men and Abortion Network. And the website for that is menandabortion.net. Um, Save One is uh, the ministry that I, uh, I partner with, and, and I'm a men's chapter leader. And so if there's a, a, a man who, that this is a part of your story and and God has stirred up something in you and, and, and you're ready to invite Christ to bring healing to that wound, uh, you can visit our website, which is saveone.org. And that, that not only is for men, but we also have uh, ministry to women and families uh, as well. So those would be some resources that, that I'd suggest. Beautiful. I'll drop all of those in the show notes for everyone listening. Please do check them out. And and David, if, if you'd be so kind to close us in prayer, um, prayer for um, and with all of our audience and anyone who is touched by this episode, if you'd be so kind. Yeah. Well, Father, we thank you. Thank you that um, your love is amazing. Thank you, God, that no matter where our life is and, and what we've done, that we're not too far to be beyond the reach of your love. And uh, so I pray for those who are listening. And uh, Lord, I just pray that you would minister to them. If there are some that are under the sound of my voice that have been impacted by abortion and hiding in the shadows, I pray, God, that by your spirit, you would draw them out into the light of your love and you would begin the process of bringing a radical transformation to their life, that they may experience your forgiveness in ways like never before, your healing, your salvation, your restoration. God, I pray that you would um, you would do a great work. And so, God, we thank you for how you have used uh, our time together um, to minister to many. And so I just uh, thank you. And we give uh, this episode to you. And I pray for your blessings and your healing. And for those who are a part of ministering to others, I pray that you would use this to embolden them, to encourage them, to even help them to see those that they are reaching out to with your eyes, your eyes of compassion and they will reach out to them with mercy, ministering to them your truth and seeing people transformed by your radical grace. And as we do so, Lord, may we see the numbers of abortion in the United States and Canada and throughout the world decrease. May we see families coming together. May we see moms and dads who have been touched by Christ, raising up their kids in the fear and in the instruction of the Lord. May we see the next generation living for you and not experiencing some of these same things that have affected the generations before them. And so, Lord, we pray that you would do a mighty move by your spirit and you would administer life uh, to all those that are listening and life through us to those that you use us to reach. And the ripple effect of it will affect nations, will affect this world. 
and will bring glory to your great name. So God, in that, we thank you. We love you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you so, so much, David, for everything. You're welcome. All right, folks, that was David Williams, um, incredible pro-life hero and speaker, um, sharing his vulnerable story with tremendous courage to help others, not only heal after abortion, but sharing them, sharing his testimony so that others don't go down the road, seeing the pain, seeing the brokenness that this brought to his life, um, and hopefully together with other pro-life messaging, help them realize that abortion is not an appropriate solution to whatever they're going through, whatever pressures are pushing in upon them, whatever is pulling them towards abortion, helping them understand that that, that road does not lead towards um, fulfillment and excellence, but rather towards despair and brokenness. There is hope, there's healing in Christ. Um, and, and that's where we want to draw more and more people. And so ton of links in the show notes below. If you haven't already checked out the episode with um, Kevin Burke from um, Rachel's Vineyard, please do so. I'll drop the link to that episode in the show notes below as well. But thanks so much for tuning in. I hope that you enjoyed this conversation. I hope that you're enjoying the other content. As always, if you want to touch base and suggest people or topics for the program, please don't hesitate to do so. Hit me up at email at prolifeguys.com. You can shoot it there. You can go through the website. Um, no contest with this episode, but there will be more coming down the tube shortly. And so thanks a ton for tuning in. May God bless you abundantly wherever you're at, however many hours are left in your day. Oh.